Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back, and now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey everyone, welcome back. It's a welcome back to me. I've been off for a few weeks for the podcast because I've been, I was so sick, you guys. I had RSV and I'm still, excuse me, still coughing up a little bit, but so much better. But whew, man, that was really brutal. It was really difficult. It all happened over our trip to New York that got completely thwarted. You know what? I'm just going to tell you this quick story. So we were scheduled to go to Mexico for Thanksgiving, where we haven't been in like five years, but my stepmother has a condo, two condos actually, on Isla Mujeres, which is a tiny little island off the coast of Cancun. And she's basically, she's had these condos most of her life since like the 60s. They started the condo complex there, her family did. Anyway, so we used to go every Thanksgiving and then the pandemic happened and it's just one thing after another. We have not been able to go for a really long time. So this year was like, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. We're going to do Thanksgiving in in Isla, which is our favorite thing to do. And again, we haven't done it for like five or six years. And so we booked, I was like, okay, I'm doing it. We're doing it. Okay, we're doing it. My dad was like, I booked my tickets. We're doing it. I was like, so I booked tickets. And you know how expensive air airfares have been. It was crazy. But I was like, we are fucking doing this. It was me and my son and his girlfriend. And then a few weeks after I booked the tickets, my stepmother had an issue come up. And her doctors were like, listen, if it wasn't treatable, we'd say go to Mexico and enjoy yourself. But it's treatable. So don't go to Mexico and stay home and, and let's start treatment. <laughs> so <laughs> Mexico was off the table. So fortunately, I had booked through JetBlue and I always get the insurance and then the I can where I can change the ticket. We changed the ticket. I was like, all right, that's fine. We'll all just go to New York because that's where my dad and my stepmother live. I was like, we'll do five days in the city. We'll do a really long trip. We'll do five days in the city. And then we'll do five days out in East Hampton with my dad and my stepmom. So then I got RSV and everyone was freaking out because I can't bring RSV to the Hamptons with my stepmother who's in in treatment and immune compromised and, and 83 and all of that. But it was like far enough away that I was like, I think I can do this. It's I, like, I've been sick for over a week now. Like surely I'm not contagious if I'm still coughing, but like surely I couldn't be contagious. Anyway, then she ended up being hospitalized just before we left. And so we were keeping an eye on things and, oh God. But just before we left, the person that we were supposed to stay with in the city, family friends that we were staying with in this, because I grew up there, right? Like I have people there. She came down with COVID. So we're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> so this was like two days before we left. So I was like, all right, I guess we're springing for an Airbnb in New York City. Great. So I find one. It was actually great. It was like teeny and cute. And it was like the kind of apartment I lived in after I graduated from college kind of thing. And it was like two teeny bedrooms and it was perfect for me and the kids. And on the airplane, you guys, on the airplane, on our way to New York, 10 minutes before landing, 
my son turns to me and he goes, mom, I'm so cold. I'm so cold and everything hurts. My whole body hurts. And I was like, oh my God. I was like, you have the flu. You literally got hit with the flu because, you know, the flu hits you like a fucking freight train. And I was like, oh, honey, you have the flu. (laughs) Like, shit. So we get to New York. He is like down for the count, shivering, shaking in bed, like the works. We go to urgent care. We get him tested positive for flu, negative for COVID. We get him Tamiflu. Two days later, his girlfriend... 103 degree fever. And at this point, my dad's like, you can't come out here. (laughs) And I was like, oh my God. And I knew that. Of course we can't because we're carrying dangerous germs. And so then I was like, fuck it, we're going home. But then the kids convinced me that we needed to stay because they were going to get better. And then they wanted to enjoy the city rather than just have the flu in the city. So we stay in the city ended up having a wonderful Thanksgiving because my childhood best friends, all of my girlfriends, my the girls that I went to elementary school with, we all gathered at my girlfriend's house, her apartment, her childhood home that overlooks Central Park and the parade route. We used to go there all the time when I was a kid. So anyway, so we I took the kids to watch the parade in warmth and comfort <laughs> of a New York City apartment overlooking Central Park. And it's right across the street from the Dakota. So when I was a kid, we used to go and we would watch John Lennon and Yoko Ono watching the parade on their balcony (laughs) across the street. So the kids got to experience that. And then we had a really nice dinner out and everything. And and then Friday, I totally relapsed with my RSV. And by that point, we, we couldn't go see my dad. So the kids stayed in like an Airbnb that my son's girlfriend's mom booked for them. And then I ended up in a hotel. for five days. So on Friday, I was like, I'm so done. And I just lay in bed and I watched Oxygen all day. And then on Saturday, my dad actually came into town to visit with us. And that was really wonderful. And then Saturday night, we were leaving on Sunday morning, Saturday night, my son gets food poisoning. (laughs) It was the cursed trip from hell, literally just the cursed, everything that could go wrong completely went wrong. It was planes, trains, and automobiles. Oh, and then we get to the airport to go home and JetBlue has lost our reservation. (laughs) It is like, I was trying to check in. It was the weirdest thing. And I go up and they're like, yeah, we don't have a, we don't have a reservation. This reservation was canceled. I was like, why? I was like, of course it was. By this point, I was just so surrendered. I was like, okay, so how are we going to get this? How are we going to, fortunately we got on the next flight. We got home and I was so done. And I will tell you, I texted my ex-husband and I was like, I need you to drive out to the airport and pick us up. And in Los Angeles, driving to LAX is a big deal. But it was Sunday night. It was Sunday night after Thanksgiving. It was a pretty busy day, but I was like, I don't care. I you ha- Please, you have to. And he felt so bad for us. He was like, yes, I will be there. <laughs> and it was like the icing. It was like the only good thing that happened was that I got to get off of the plane and just get in his car and have someone else take over. Because in the meantime, I spent my entire trip taking care of sick teenagers while I was sick, going to the store, cooking up brews, soups, everything while I was sick, but they were dying of flu. Oh my God, you guys, I'm so happy to be home. The first thing I did was call my energy healer, the amazing, my, my incredible energy healer. Her name is Sarah Eisenberg. And I just 
fucking adore her. If you're, if you want to find her, she's actually in our should I stay or should I go group because she was so interested in what I do and all of that. So she's actually in there. If you want to find her and ping her, she's a genius, a literal genius. And she works remotely and she cleared so much stuck energy for me. Cause I was like, I just feel like I'm a, I've got this black cloud hanging over me right now for the last few years. And I'm very mad about it. <laughs> And she got in there and cleared it. And I got to tell you, I feel completely transformed. So I'm back. That was my 10-minute way of telling you that I am back. I am here. <laughs> and today I'm doing a Q&A. I got some great questions that I want to answer for you. I want to touch quickly, just briefly, on the holidays because obviously they're coming up. And last week I re-aired my interview with the amazing Michelle Dempsey-Multak, my dear friend. And I think we covered a lot of great stuff in that in that episode, which I re-aired partly because I was sick and partly because it's a good episode and I just figured it was worth it. Look, there's so many questions that people have at this point about how to share the holidays, how to split time. And I'm, I've am i got a few videos that are on Instagram and or TikTok. So if you don't follow me there, please do. I'm sure y'all are on TikTok. Everybody's on TikTok, right? But on Instagram or TikTok, I'm, I have a few videos in which I'm talking about that this month. And so I think that I really cover a lot of stuff there. There's a balance, I think, in the holidays, right? One of the things I want you to keep focusing on is what is the experience of your children through this time? We get so caught up sometimes in things being equal and sharing time, and I want it to be even, and it's my time, it's your time. And let's just Stop that for a minute. And that, I think those are some reasonable things that we get caught up in while we're going through divorce, right? While we're negotiating and creating settlement agreements and custody agreements and all of those things, shared parenting agreements and time. But there's a point at which you got to take a step back, right? And say, what is the experience of my children? And what do I want? them to remember how do i want my children to remember that like they had to get pulled out of christmas dinner halfway through because it was time for them to go to their dads because it was important that no we want our kids to have a magical holiday whether they're young and still believe in santa or they're older and they don't like the holidays it's our job as parents to to create memories in this time. And if the memories that your kids end up with 10 years down the line, five years down the line, or when they're adults and they look back, and if their memories are like, I was being torn in two back and forth and splitting time, like that's not what we want for them. We want them to remember the traditions and listen, that what that could very well mean is that they that you don't celebrate the holiday on a specific day. So if you celebrate Christmas, for example, there's somebody in my co-parenting group that talked about how she had her family always did a Christmas a fake they called it fake Christmas. And they weren't even divorced, but they were just it was like the only time that the family could get together was like not on Christmas, was like the 28th or something, right? Or whatever. They just picked a day that everybody in the family could actually get together. And it was called fake Christmas. And they did a full-blown Christmas feast and everything, but it just wasn't on the day. And when 
they, she asked the members of her family, like, what was your, what are your favorite memories and the kids and everything? What are your favorite memories growing up? And they all said fake Christmas. And so you can create fake Christmas in your family, right? If your children are going to be with your co-parent for Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, in my family, we split the day, right? We, I mean, we split, usually one of us will have Christmas Eve and the other will have Christmas Day, over the last like four, five, four years or so, three years or so, we've actually just been doing it all together. And we probably will again this year. Uh, I know we will. One of us will host on Christmas Eve. One of us will host on Christmas Day. And we ended up doing, we end up doing it all together. I need to remind you that I have been divorced for 14 years. <laughs> and that is a very, took a very long time for us to get to that point. Even when, when my ex remarried, we did not do that for a very long time. And it wasn't until the last couple of years that we started to do that as the contentious nature of the relationship between all of us settled down. And then Frank, and now my ex is separated from his second wife and he and I are gonna, we'll do it together. My mother-in-law is coming to town, but anyway. So if your ex or your co-parent has the kids Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, if you're not sharing in any Again, I don't want you picking up your kids halfway through Christmas Eve dinner. I want you to have Christmas Eve with one parent and Christmas Day with the other. New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. I just don't think that it's fair to the kids from their perspective and their experience to be torn out of a family experience and tradition halfway through because a parent wants to have that time with them. Right. Again, this isn't, this should not be about you. I think I said in the beginning, I'm of two minds about this. Like it is on the one hand, needs to be about your kids and their experiences. And then in the time between, it needs to be about you. Right. When you're not with your kids, then you have to take care of yourself. And that's one of the hardest things, right? Is having the experience of having to have your first Christmas Eve alone, have your first wake up on Christmas morning alone for the first time. And if that, if you're staring down that barrel, I want you to start thinking now about what it is that you are going to do for yourself. If you can, you send out an APB to all your friends and say, hey, I'm going to be alone on Christmas Eve. Can I come to your house? Whose house can I come to? <laughs> Who's going to take pity on me? This is the time to ask for help. This is the time to say, hey, this is going to be a really hard holiday for me. Can I, can you fold me into your family while I'm going through this? And the season, y'all. <laughs> so if people say no, you may want to re-examine your relationship with them. Obviously, if they're going to be out of town, fine. But this is the holiday season. This is what this is about. Or create something for yourself. One of my favorite Christmas memories, I think I, I probably have told you guys at some point, was when I had a bunch of divorced moms from my mother and a friend of hers and two of my friends. And it was just us and no kids. And it was so lovely. It was really lovely. So I want you to think about this. I don't want you to be blindsided. I don't want you to be shocked, miserable, depressed. I want you to take care of yourself. First, take care of the kids. Make sure that they have the experience of the holidays that feels good to them and that will build memories of joy down the line. And if you're not with them at Christmas, make a fake Christmas and then make sure you're cup for the holidays. If you celebrate Hanukkah, again, like sharing, maybe one does four nights, one does the other four. I don't know. I don't know how you want to do it. But think about, again, first of all, think about how the experience 
occurs for your kids, and then think about how you're going to take care of yourself for the rest. Okay, let's get into some questions because I have this, this is a listener (laughs) Q&A. So let's get into it. All right, the first question is from Amanda, and she asks, when do you tell your kids about the divorce process starting? We did the separation conversation, we separated, and now we're moving on to the divorce process. I read all about the how, but what about the when? I've started the filing process, but it's the holidays, but I also don't want the husband to let it slip. I want it to be an intentional conversation and realize there's never a good time. Yes, you're right, Amanda. There is never a good time. I would say since you've already had the separation conversation, you've already started the ball rolling and you've already separated. So the kids are now getting used to this new life apart. And absolutely, they may be thinking, great, they separated. They're going to, they didn't get, at least they didn't get divorced. So this is the final conversation. And I think you should discuss with your husband, if you can, if you are collaborating well on this, I think you should discuss it with him and make sure you're on the same page so he doesn't let it slip and have an intentional conversation together. I think this conversation should also be together if at all possible. And I would say do it after the holidays. I would also do it maybe before they go back to school. Do it after Christmas. I don't know what I don't know what you celebrate. I don't want to assume, but maybe in the latter part of the ho- the break. Depending of course on what their plans are. Like if they're going on like a trip, then you may have to wait. But I would certainly do it as long as you and your husband are collaborating on this. If you feel that he's going to be vindictive and let the cat out of the bag and be an asshole about it and also throw you under the bus, then I would get ahead of it. It just sucks to have that conversation before Christmas. If you do feel like you need to have it before Christmas, then I would have it sooner rather than later. I would, because you don't want it like hanging over the holidays. So maybe before break. So, it, I mean, it really, unfortunately, it really depends on on the uh, nature of the relationship. But if you can put a protective cocoon around the actual holiday, whatever it is that you celebrate, do that. I know that's not very, that's not very specific. I'm sorry, but I don't know the details about your um, situation. All right, let's go to Brittany. As a very recently divorced woman, my question is simply, how can I create a healthy, separate boundary and life from my ex-husband when we have a very young child together, when it feels like I see him way too much and not enough at the same time. Brittany also says, P.S., your podcast changed my life. Thank you, Brittany, so much. I so appreciate hearing from you guys. Yeah, it's re- I think it's really important to create healthy boundaries. It's really important that you create sort of a container around yourself so that you can, listen, whether the relationship is collaborative and friendly or not, you still need to take that space so that you can individuate, so that you can learn who you are outside of motherhood and marriage and all of those things, right? It can get really confusing when after you separate, you spend a lot of time together, especially with a young kid, and you're trying to collaborate. Maybe you like do park things and parties and I don't know, whatever. And then you're like, I don't, this feels like we're still married and we're playing house in some way. And 
you definitely want to, you don't want that, right? You really, you need to create space. And I would say less at this time is more. So very young child, I don't know what that means. Are we talking infant? Are we talking three-year-old, right? I, I still think, and listen, if it's collaborative, you can say to him, hey, listen, really hope and want for us to have great relationship and friendship down the line. In order to facilitate that, I need to take a little bit more space so that I can figure out who I am outside of our relationship. And I really hope that you can don't take that personally. It's not about you. It is really about myself and my self-identity. And I'm hoping that, you know, you can understand or we can work together to create these sort of healthier boundaries. And, and I want that for you too, right? I feel like we need we each need to figure out who we are, not just as individuals, but as parents outside of our marriage. So let's take a little bit of time and try to, I all a huge proponent of parallel parenting as much as possible in the beginning and moving into co-parenting, even if you're, even if you have a great relationship, even if everything is like really good right now, I still think parallel parenting in the beginning is healthier. The question is, how can I create healthy separate boundary? How can I hate create a healthy separate boundary in life for my ex-husband? You just do. Setting boundaries is hard. Keeping boundaries is harder. So you have that conversation. And you say, I feel like we're doing a little too much stuff together and I need a little bit more space. Please don't take it personally. It's nothing to do with you. It's just about the process that I am going through right now through our divorce process. And hopefully he'll understand that and respect it. If he doesn't, you still do that. So when he says, hey, let's go to the park on Saturday, you say, hey, why don't you take our kid to the park, and then I'll pick her up afterwards and take her to dinner or whatever. And you just create those boundaries. You just do it, right? The other person will usually not like your boundary. Other people don't like our boundaries, right? <laughs> like they, first of all, they can feel personal. They can feel like a personal attack, but Secondly, often they're getting something out of the dynamic and the way it is now. And so the first thing people do, generally speaking, usually first they'll be like, oh, okay, <laughs> right? And then they'll keep doing what they were doing. And that's normal. That's totally normal, right? It's like children. They're looking for where the boundary is. They're pushing the boundary in order to see where it is. And so I want you to set your boundary and know that they're going to push against it and it's your job to remind them where it is. And again, this is your boundary. It's not their boundary. They don't like it. It's yours. And if it matters to you, you're going to have to hold it. Sometimes in the face of a lot of because they'll say, oh, for sure. Or they'll be like, that's fucked up, and how dare you, and that's selfish, and blah, 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 and you only ever think about yourself. And, and then you say, in this moment, I am thinking about myself, and this is what I need. I'm sorry that you don't like it. However, this is what I need in this time. And they'll go, you're selfish, you're this, and you don't argue whether or not you're selfish. 
you don't jump into their basket. You stay in your basket and you say, "Uh uh-huh, I'm sorry you feel that way. Unfortunately, this is what I need at this time. Rinse and repeat. The second you start answering whatever accusations or defending yourself, as soon as you get defensive, you've lost the narrative, right? As soon as you find yourself getting defensive or feeling defensive, I want you to take a deep breath and simply repeat what you have already said. So how do you create a healthy separate boundary and life from your ex-husband? You just do. (laughs) You do. I hope that's helpful, Brittany. I know it's hard. It's the hardest thing you can do. One of the questions I get asked a lot in my Facebook group, my programs, on Instagram, is what do I do with my engagement ring, my wedding ring? I've got all of these beautiful diamonds. I don't know what to do with them. Well, today's sponsor, Worthy, can help you get the most money possible for your jewelry, fast and risk-free. When you partner with Worthy, They do all the work for you, and their competitive auctions get you up to three times what a local jeweler would offer in as little as two weeks. The best part about Worthy is that you are in charge of what happens to your jewelry. You set the reserve price, you approve the winning bid, and then you get paid. And if your item doesn't sell for the price that you want, Worthy sends it back to you at no cost, fully insured. And now you can visit worthy.com slash DSG and get an extra $100 when your jewelry sells for over $1,500. That's worthy.com slash DSG. Worthy, a better way to cash in on that hidden asset in your jewelry box. Worthy.com slash DSG. Okay, moving on. Julianne, how to be able to survive financially? I cannot afford to leave. Part two of this question, how to do the guy things, car maintenance, home maintenance and repairs. I've never lived alone. After 34 years of marriage, these are some of the things that are overwhelming. So first of all, I'm going to answer the part B first. There's no such thing as guy things. There's no such thing as guy things and girl things. This is like a construct of the patriarchy or whatever, whatever cultural, cultural, it's a cultural construct. It's bullshit. You want to learn how to do car maintenance and home maintenance and repairs and things like that. There are a million places. YouTube was made for things like this. There are more YouTube videos, I'm sure, on how to do this kind of shit. And a lot of them for women. There's a great Facebook group that I'm a part of that it's called Handy Women. When I tell you what these women, they are like, They're not contractors, but they are full-blown contractors. They are renovating bathrooms. They're knocking down walls. They're doing it, and they're doing it by themselves. This is not a guy thing. These are women. And most of them have followed YouTube tutorials. They've figured this shit out, whether it's by necessity. A lot of women in that group are in my Facebook group as well. So a lot of them, I think it is a necessity situation. And husband leaves. What the fuck do I do? All right. I guess I got to do it for myself. My mother single mother since 1972, when I was 11 months old, my mother became a single mother. And my dad was a cabinet. He really did do all that stuff in the house. And for 10 fucking years, my mother asked for a drill for Christmas. For 10 fucking years. 
She was like, why won't anyone get me a goddamn drill? I need a drill. I want a drill. And every time she needed to drill something, she would go downstairs to our neighbor, a gay man, and borrow his drill. Or he would come upstairs and help. But usually she just borrowed the drill and came upstairs and did it herself. Um, And 10 years later, I think my godfather finally was like, she really wants a drill. And she got this drill for Christmas. And it, (laughs) it died like three months ago. I went to use it and I was like, oh, I think it's dead, mom. (laughs) And I was like, do you want me to get you another one? And she was like, no, just, you just come over and do it now because she's 81. She's like, I'm not going to be drilling shit. You're, (laughs) you do it. When I got out of school and everything, like I always had a full set of tools. Again, my dad was a cabinet maker and I grew up installing kitchens and in his wood shop with him. But anyway, every divorcing woman should be given a drill for Christmas. Put that on your Christmas lists. So there's no such thing as man thing and guy things and girl things or whatever. You want to learn that shit. You figure it out. You are resourceful and you are smart and you can do hard things and you've never lived alone. And it's 34 years. And yes, it is overwhelming, but how fucking exciting. What an opportunity for you, Julianne, to learn who you are and to learn what you're capable of. Because you can do this. You can, we can do hard things. If you were my client, I would ask you to think of this as a challenge, as something that you take on, that you decide that I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to be a fucking badass with a drill. All right, bring it. You're going to be stretching yourself beyond who you have known yourself to be. And you're going to fail and you're going to do it again. And you're going to pick yourself back up and you're going to try again and you're going to get good at something and you are going to feel so accomplished and you are going to feel so good about yourself and it's going to be fun and it's going to be frustrating, but you can absolutely do these things 100%. It's just a matter of learning. That's all you got to do. How many new things have you learned how to do in your life? This is just like everything else. Now to part one of your question, how to be able to survive financially. You can't afford to leave. Listen. This is a very real issue. It's I'm not going to sugarcoat it and be like, of course you can, and it's, it's easy or whatever. It's not. I want you to follow Daisha Kennedy, the broke black girl on Instagram. She has a lot of amazing tutorials and, and courses and all sorts of shit about money for women. And... um especially divorcing women because she got divorced and had to start herself all over again. And she's a single mom and she's making it work. It it may take time. It's going to take time. And in the meantime, I want you to start putting a little bit of money aside as much as you can. I don't know if there's financial abuse in the mix here, but if you've been a stay-at-home mom and, and you haven't worked, then I want you to start thinking about what work you can do. Again, I don't know your story specifically. And that might be that you invest some time in going back to school and taking some classes. And so it may be that you make a long-term plan. And I think that this is important for people who are struggling financially to leave, which is that even if you stay, but you have a plan for yourself in your own mind that you are all right, I'm going to take this class. I'm going to get brushed up on these skills. I'm going to learn this. I'm going to, whatever it is, I'm going to take a class in accounting so I can become a bookkeeper. And you know that this class that you're taking is towards your goal 
as long as it's safe for you to continue to live in your house. You don't need to have the divorce conversation yet. You just know in your heart what you're doing and what you're moving towards. So you take a class and you start to build up clientele in whatever, or you just get a job and you say, hey, listen, it's time for me to work and I'm going to go get a job at wherever. Or if you do work and this is a matter of just being low income and or hit by inflation, which is, it's, it's awful. It is making it so difficult. This economy is making it so hard for women in particular to leave. It is, it's dangerous because women are being forced to stay in domestically violent relationships and marriages and homes because they can't afford to leave. And it's a real, it's real. I wish I had a magic wand. I wish I could make this not the case. I can't. The best thing I can say is if you can, if there's cases of in financial abuse or domestic violence, when you go to the store, get $20 cash back if you can. Buy yourself Visa gift cards if you can, right? And just create a stash for yourself. That stash should be uh, somewhere very safe, somewhere uh, where your husband can't find it. And it should be maybe at a friend's house or whatever. You keep it somewhere very safe and you just keep adding to it little by little. And again, in your head, you're going to know that you're building towards something. I think the stagnation is feeling like you're not getting anywhere is really difficult. So if you can feel like you are making small moves, whether that's $5 a week or getting a new job, you can feel like you are moving forward in your own mind. It's very, the most disempowering thing is to go, I can't do anything and just not make any moves. Even if it's the smallest shift, it has like a seismic effect in within yourself. So these are, these are hard questions. I wish, again, I wish I had solid Pollyanna answers to these questions. Unfortunately, I don't, but you know me, I keep it real. Okay. Dear Kate, this is from Natasha. I am a European citizen that moved to Asia where my husband is from to get married and start a family with him. Five years and two kids later, kids are one and four. He wants to divorce. My question is, should I move back to my home country with my two kids where I have a support system or stay in the country where their life is and their father is, but where I'm alone? I don't want to rip my kids away from their life and father, but they're still young enough to adapt easily. Should I stay or should I go? Natasha, this is a really, really tough one. It's very difficult to answer this question, <laughs> to be honest, because I don't know that there's a great answer. I'm, I would lean in the direction of staying where their life and their father is because taking your kids away, first of all, moving countries with children might be very difficult from a legal perspective. And if he were, if he wants to fight you on it, you're going to, it could be very expensive and very difficult. And I don't know that it's best for the children unless he's an abuser. If he is an involved, loving father, and he's and your kids have a, a strong bond with them. 
I think taking them away from that would be very detrimental to them. And that means that you are making a sacrifice for your kids because you're because you are alone there. Now, you've lived in Asia for five years. And so are you really alone? Like you have no support system? You don't have any friends? And if that's the case, then I would push press you on that. I think I would want to press you on like, why not? And maybe because you have a one and a four-year-old and you've been like buried in motherhood for the last four years. Sure. But I think it, it would be a lot easier and healthier for your children and for you to create a community and build community in Asia and to maybe you negotiate in your divorce some time where two months in the summer where you get to take the kids to Europe and build more connection with your family and that that becomes part of it. Listen, if I am going to agree to stay in Asia, then here's what I need. I need to be able to connect with my family. I need to be able to have our children connect with my family. And so I would like for to take them for two months um, every summer, if that's a, a possibility for you. And I think that you could have some balance there. And then I think it's vital and very important that if you're going to share custody, that you use his parenting time with the children to build your community and a support system in Asia where you are. Isn't impossible. I'm sure there are like-minded people somewhere, maybe some parent moms at your kid's school, things like that. I do think that's the best idea for the children. If you were to take them to, to Europe, then you would probably have to send them back to Asia for the summers and Christmas holidays and things like that. But it would be far less disruptive for the, if you were to stay. Which is, listen, this is the danger that we run into Whenever we uproot our lives for the sake of our husbands and their careers or whatever it is, or partner, when you give something up, whether it's your career or your family or your security or your safety net or whatever, in order to follow a partner to another country, to another place or another city, another town, another state, and that relationship goes south and you have children, you're stuck you're pretty much stuck. And it, it's a big sacrifice. And I see it all the time with my clients. I gave up work. I gave up work 10 years ago because he said that we needed to move to this other state so that he could work. And he was like, it's okay. You don't have to work. And now we're getting divorced and I haven't worked in 10 years. And these are the ways that women give up their power and give up their autonomy and give up their, their lives for their partners. And guess what? We don't see men doing that very often, right? How many men do you know that have given up their careers, given up their jobs, given up their connection to their families or whatever to move to another country or another state for their wives' work? I know very few. There are some, for sure, but I know very few. So these are the questions that we have to start asking ourselves and that we have to talk to our children about, right? We want to talk to our children eventually about the impact of these decisions so that they don't make them. They don't make these same decisions in their lives. All right, Natasha, I hope that helped. I know that's not what you wanted to hear. <laughs> I'm sorry, but that's pretty much my how I feel about it. All right, so Meg. 
Hi, Kate. I was wondering if you could give advice on how to cope with the amount of decisions you have to make going through a divorce. Once you make the impossible decision to leave your marriage, it's followed by a never-ending string of decisions. What lawyer to hire? What to do with the family home? What custody schedule are you going to follow? I dwell on the details and impact of each choice and if I'm making the right one. The mental load of mothering is a lot on its own, but the decision fatigue of divorce is overwhelming me. Girl, absolutely. Decision fatigue is a very real thing. And for those of you who don't know what decision fatigue is, it is it's what happens when we have so many decisions to make, right? That in the beginning, the first five decisions that we have to make in a moment or whatever are easy to make. But as time goes on, we get so tired of having to make decisions that we actually start to make poorer decisions as time goes on. So we become impaired at decision-making because we've had to make so many in a day. And we make hundreds of tens of thousands of decisions every day. It, this is why some people work better in the mornings because there's, we've made fewer decisions and we can actually start. We can make the hard decisions and make better choices for the harder things that we have to do earlier. But it, so it's a very real thing. And it is true that in divorce, there are so many decisions to make. And as you, and listen, this is why this is a very real and um, uh, problematic issue. Where this is where, at a certain point, very often women will say, you know what, fuck it, I don't care, I don't want the support, I just want to be done. And I'll tell you, the long term effects of that are devastating. There's a woman who posted on her Facebook group about this this week about how. She had said, fine, she's three kids, and she took half of what she should have been due for child support, and she has the children almost 100% of the time because her husband moved states and started a new life, got remarried, all of that, and she has the kids almost all of the time, and she took half of the child support because she just wanted to be fucking done with it, and Probably because she was having decision fatigue or fighting fatigue, right? When you're fighting for things or whatever. And she was like, I just want to be done. And now she's going to have to go back to court to fight him for more money. And that is going to be very expensive and very difficult. And it puts her in a position of, of being re-victimized by him. He's, his power and control is amping up as she's trying to say to him, this is insane. I can't live on this and I can't support our children on this. Anyway, that's just, that is an example of decision fatigue in divorce that is very detrimental. Meg, back to you. I would say to you, to do one, just really focus on one thing at a time, really one thing at a time, if at all possible, and find the time in the day when you actually have the most energy for these things and then put it the fuck away. So if you have the, if you have more mental energy in the morning, then you spend maybe an hour or two in the morning working on your divorce stuff, and then you put it away for the rest of the day. 
And you can tell your attorneys, hey, listen, I'm really trying to focus on this in the morning. I thank you for your emails, but I'll get back to you in the morning or whatever. And you're allowed to do that because it's your divorce too. And or if you're the kind of person who, you know, can't function in the morning and you make much better decisions and are brighter and more bushy-tailed in the later afternoon and the evening after you've whatever, then, then do it then. But find your time. And then, like I said, try to focus on one thing at a time and try not to dwell on the details and the impact of each choice, (laughs) right? Because this is, you're creating more decision fatigue by what I'm gathering is obsessing or perseverating and, oh my God, at the end of the day, you're going to have to just make a choice, right? And it may not be the perfect choice, but it is a choice. And if you're hemming and hawing, about which choice to make, and then you're never making a choice, that is worse than not making a choice because you're scared of making the right one. Work on the lawyer stuff. All right, I'm going to have three consultations. Three, that's it. Have three consults with attorneys that are recommended by people who have had the kind of divorce that either you want or you anticipate having. So if you anticipate a high-conflict divorce, you find recommendations of people who have gone through high-conflict divorces. Right. You don't rec- you don't get the recommendation from the person who had like the easy divorce. <laughs> right. You get a recommendation for someone who had the kind of divorce that you have. If you are really collaborative and you want to maintain that collaborative spirit and mediate and all of that, you get a recommendation from somebody who had that kind of divorce. Because if you get the recommendation from somebody who had a really high conflict divorce, it might be that you're going to be uh, dealing with an attorney who wants to make things, who is used to things being high conflict and perhaps might steer things in that direction, right? Have three consultations and then make a decision and go with your gut. Go with your gut. If you have done my program and I want you to go back and revisit the inner guide meditation and I want you to sit with your inner guide on these decisions, I want you to Take a deep breath and go into your deepest sense of knowing. If you haven't done it, then this is about your intuition, your gut, your most, your highest sense of knowing within. And you take deep breaths, you meditate on it. When the clarity comes, that's it. That's your choice. And then you're going to move on to the next thing. When certain things like what to do with the family home, your attorney can probably advise on. What custody schedule you're going to follow, you're going to look at a custodyexchange.com, which has great options and ideas for every every age. It has recommendations based on age group, based on all sorts of stuff. It's really wonderful. It's custody, big X, change. So there's no E in the exchange. So I think you definitely go there. So don't dwell on the details. Close your eyes get in touch, do your due diligence, and then make a decision. And yes, it is going to be exhausting, but just don't make it more exhausting for yourself, if at all possible. All right. So those are the questions that we had for this week. I really, I love doing the Q&A, guys. I really do. So please keep them coming as long as you like it. If you like the Q&A format, keep your questions coming and you just go to kateanthony.com slash questions. And there is a form there that you can fill out. We'll also link it in the show notes so that you can just quickly link to it. So again, it's kateanthony.com slash questions. 
and you're going to fill out the form and I can do these as often as you want, as long as I keep getting questions. So there you have it. All right, my loves, that's all for today. I am sending you the warmest wishes for the beginning of this holiday season. Take care of yourself. Take care of your children. Let's make it a happy one. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at the Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy.